Good morning. Good morning. I'm not Laura. <laughs> you can look at her and listen to me and you'll have a pleasant experience. Um, I'm Wendell. I'm the Pathway Pastor here at Broadway. And uh, we meet here Sunday nights at 6 o'clock. You're always welcome. We have a good time. So this is a great passage. Um, it's uh, good for weddings and it's good for us this morning. It's... Uh, when I read it, of course, when, you, when you're going to preach on a passage, you kind of soak in it for a while. You go over it and over it and over it and, and ruminate on it. That's what cows do. To, you know, they, they, never mind. Uh, <laughs> um, so I just kind of came away with some words that, to me, are impression, impressions I got. This, this passage kind of has a, the feeling of permanence and solidity to it. And it also has a lilt to it because it talks about hymns and songs and, you know, and so it's, it's, it's kind of a, an oldie goldie that sticks with you and you, and you remember it. So, uh, Paul, um, by the way, let's just stop right here. By the way, I got kind of uh, chastised a couple of weeks ago because I don't make my points clear. And so there's somebody here we won't say who they were, but their, their initials are Michelle Bell. <laughs> and so as a school teacher, she said, we need points. And so I'm going to give you my points. So this is the first point. Okay. Number one, if you're taking Michelle, you got that? Number one. Okay. So what I like here is that Paul starts out by, by making it clear that this thing we have with God, this relationship we have, this connection we have with God is not of our making and it's not us to form or fashion or dream up or create or initiate or anything. This is all God initiated. It starts with God. I mean, really, it starts with the creation. He did that. It was his idea. All the way through the big book, all the way through the story, everything is God's initiation. He does all the heavy lifting, all the grunt work, and we either receive it or we don't. We either accept it or we don't. And so here it says, you are chosen. So God looks at you and says, I want you. You know, in, in years past, um, we've argued over that. Well, that's some sort of election. God chooses some to go here and some to go there. And we use Paul, we misshaped him to, to mean that. But he, we're all chosen. But it's not like, come on, y'all. He literally is like, you, 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 you. I choose you. So we're all chosen. We, it's up to us whether we want to respond or not. But we're chosen, and that's God's initiative. Not ours, his. He chooses. All of us. And what's interesting is it, it says you're chosen, holy, dearly loved. These two things. Now, I don't know where you came from or where you went to church, but I grew up in what they called a holiness church, which was quite legalistic and quite demanding. And so when they ever they pulled that word out, holiness, it was like, oh, no, get to work. You need to manage your behavior. You need to make sure you believe all the right things because you've got to be perfect to be holy. So get to work. You've got to make this happen. That's when I read that word, that's what I thought. But when I read it now, this is God's initiative. You're chosen holy. Richard Rohr has a picture, and, and I wish I had more facts on it, but he has this picture that he writes about in one of his books that, uh, that's like centuries old. 
It's, it's, it's a depiction of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And in that picture, there's a little chair, a little section over here to the side, which is occupied by us. And so holiness, I think in that image, is God is holy and he includes us in that. So holiness is not some perfection idea. Holiness is an inclusion idea that we're included. We're invited to be included on God's initiative. We're chosen to be included into God's kind of life, God's kind of existence. And then it says that we're dear, we're chosen to be dearly loved. Here again, I'll go back to my growing up days. I heard over and over, God loves you, God loves you. But what I caught, you know, there's a big difference between what you're taught and what is caught. Do you know what I'm saying? And so the environment I grew up, what I caught was God loves you, but you got to sit in the back of the room right next to the door so that he can tell you to leave whenever you mess up. You know, it's a tolerant love. Yeah, we'll let you in, but sit in the back, get ready to leave if you mess up. Paul's description here is that we're chosen to be dearly loved, to be adored, to be God's favorite. I don't know how that works. I could be God's favorite, but you can too. I don't know how that works, but it does. So it's, on, it's, it's by God's initiative that we're chosen to be holy, to be included, to be dearly loved. If you want this expanded, like Paul just does it in these verses here. If you want a whole big book that talks about this kind of thing, read the Gospel of John. He is the poster child for this. John got this, that my relationship with God is not something I work out, work on, work through. My relationship with God is simply responding to his invitation, responding to the initiative that he's made. So I see it and I walk into it. So that's the first thing we have. Nothing else that Paul says here will make sense unless we get that. That this was God's idea, this was God's initiative, and God makes it happen. That we're chosen to be included, holy, to be dearly loved, to be adored. And like I said, if you want more of that, go just read John's gospel through three or four times. You'll get it. That's point one, Michelle. Okay, so point two is that we're, yeah. And, and Eric kind of brought this out. And, and point two is, is that we're kind of issued a new wardrobe. You know, he's talking about clothing. We put these things on like clothing. The thing is, is that the clothes aren't really new. They were in God's mind back at the get-go, back in Eden, that we wear these clothes. It's just we've kind of forgotten them and left them in the closet. So we go to this closet, we look and we think, these are clothes that God has designed and given to us. But the thing is, is they're form-fitted. To, to fit me exactly, to fit you exactly, to fit you exactly. They're form-fitted to each one of us to fit. And they're like compassion, kindness, humility. They're, they're form-fitted. We, we talked about uh, in the first service, um, have, you, have you ever bought a pair of shoes and the first time you put them on, it's like, uh, it's going to take a while to break these suckers in. And about the time you get a broken in, you have to buy a new pair because they've got holes in them and the soles are coming off. And so it's like, ah. But have you ever pulled out of the box a pair of shoes and put them on and took your first two or three steps? It's like, oh my goodness, these were made just for me. And you know, an hour or two into the day, you forget you've got them on. You're styling with some brand new shoes. But you don't even think about it. And everybody's like, oh, I like your new shoes. Oh, yeah, I forgot I had them on. They fit so comfortably 
They're so form-fitting. They're so natural to me that I don't even know that I have them on. So we're, we're caught styling unawares. Didn't mean to, but we are. And that's what this kindness, compassion, all this stuff that Paul lists, when we put on those clothes, they fit so naturally because God created them just for us. We, they fit so naturally that throughout the day we forget we're wearing them. And so we do kind and compassionate and thoughtful things. We listen to somebody. We slow down for them. And, and then somebody calls us out on it like, wow, that was really kind. And it was like, it was? Oh, that reminds me of the, of the parable that Jesus told about the sheep and the goats. You remember that parable? And he said, I was hungry, you fed me, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, I was lonely, you came to see me, and you know, he went on and on. And the sheep said, when did we do that? And he said, well, when you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. They were caught being sheep unawares. I, I didn't know I was being a sheep. I didn't, I didn't know that was a cool way to be, or a good way to be, or kind would, I didn't know, I was just being me. Yeah. Pretty cool to be caught being like Jesus and not even meaning to. It's like I wasn't trying, it just kind of happened. That's what this is. When, when God initiates it and God makes the clothes and we wear them, it just becomes this natural way of, of living. You know, there's nothing contrived about it. There's nothing that I've made up about it. And what dawns on me is this is the exact opposite of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when we go to the closet and we say, what's going to make me look good today? What's going to make me look official today? What's going to make me look powerful today? What's going to turn people's eyes and what's going to win their heart? So we put those on and we walk out and we're very aware of what we're wearing. You know, and what's interesting is that in the Gospels, this is one of the things that Jesus calls out over and over and over. He calls out hypocrisy, contrived outfits. He calls it out on the temple steps in the last of the Gospel of Matthew. Remember that? When he's, he's turned over the tables, he steps out on the steps and the crowd's standing there and he points back at the religious leaders and time and time he just... He lays them out. And he says, woe unto you. And every time, woe unto you, you hypocrites. He even calls them out on their clothing at time to do. Yeah. So what's so cool about what Paul says is this clothing that we put on is so that it's God created, God designed. It's very fashionable to him. We put it on and we don't even know we've got it on. We just live that way. That's point two. Point three is this. This really affects the way we live life together. The way we do community. Okay, so he's kind of just been talking about me, and now he's talking about we, how we live together. And, and it's interesting that he says, you know, this is a community of peace. Well, peace doesn't just happen, you know? Peace is a result of something. And, and he, he says two things here. He says, one, he says... Bear with each other. This is so important that we get this. Bear with each other. How do I bear with you if I don't know who you are? If you wear fake clothing, I don't know who you are. I don't know what your issues are. I don't know where you hurt. I don't know where you're broken. When you wear, when you are truly yourself and you say, this is where I'm hurting. This is where I'm struggling. I'm thinking, 
okay, I can press into that. When I say that to you, this is who I am, this is how I'm hurting, then you can press into that. Now we can bear each other's burdens. But as long as we're wearing this contrived, fake, hypocritical garb, I can't help you, you can't help me. We just live this nice little thing together. We do this little toxic dance together where we don't get, it's just, it's an inch deep and a mile wide. There's nothing to it. Nobody's really helped. So he says, bear with each other. And then he talks about forgiveness. And if I'm wearing a self, a homemade outfit that's there to impress you and you insult me, I ain't gonna forgive you. Or vice versa. You know what I'm saying? Forgiveness is hard when we're faking it. But when we're real, I use this example in the first service because uh, Robbie would agree, my wife's here, Robbie would agree that sometimes I'm a little bit too plain spoken, a little too blunt. Yeah. I was working for a name, man. I knew I'd get it somewhere. Okay, so, but if I could, if I confess that to you, if I say this is one of my issues, that sometimes I speak before I think it through. My diplomacy level's down about three. So um, I can be diplomatic, but sometimes I get in a hurry and I forget how to be diplomatic. But if I confess that to you, if I say this is one of my issues, and then 10 minutes later I say something a little bit thoughtless to you, you're gonna say, he's already told me his backstory. He's already told me his issues. I'm okay with that. You know, I'm sorry I was so plain spoken. We're all good. We're all good. See how that works? But if I'm trying to keep on some, some, some sort of facade of I'm perfect, I know it all, you know, don't you dare say something to me about being plain spoken. I spoke the truth. So, you know, how's that working? Then we've got all kind of grudges, bitterness, anger, scorekeeping, all, all this kind of stuff. So when we're real with each other, Forgiveness almost becomes our default setting. It just, that's just the way we roll. We just forgive. When I read this passage uh, and got to this next part, it was like, by the way, we're still on point three. Yeah, I didn't want Michelle to write that for you. I already told her there are four points. So I didn't want her to write down for you. But what, what's weird is when I got to this part in the passage, Paul takes this turn but I thought, what? What, what? He says, teaching and admonishing each other. And if you'd stop there, I'd said, okay, let's go to the blackboard. I'm, I'm old school. We had blackboards and job. Let's go to the blackboard and let's outline this, the concept of it. Let's outline it. Turn in your textbook to page so and so and so and so, and it's explained there by the author. And you get this concept of how we live in community. Do you understand, you know, this plus this equals this? But instead, instead of going to the chalkboard or opening a textbook, Paul says, hey, let's sing it. Let's sing it. Hymns, songs, spiritual, you know, he, he emphatically says, this needs a lilt to it. This needs a melody and harmony and rhythm to it. Let's do that. And it dawns on me, how do we teach the ABCs to our little big kids that are first learning it? We don't teach them the concept of the alphabet. We see A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? We sing it. Why do we do that? We do that because by singing it, it engages both sides of the brain. 
It engages the cognitive side and the affective side. They learn the concept, but they also learn the flavor. Everybody understand that? We've got two sides of our brain. And so Paul is saying that learning to live in community and learning what love is like, learning what to live in Christ is like, is way more than just memorizing a set of concepts. This is experiential. It has a taste to it, has a flavor, has a smell, has a lilt, has a melody and a rhythm and a rhyme to it. You see what I'm saying? So living in Christ is as much as experience as it is a conceptual understanding. I hate to brag, but at Broadway, we got that in spades. We've understood that in, utter, in order to understand this Jesus thing, we do it by sharing each, our stories with each other. We do it by eating together. We do it by having fun together. We do it by singing together. It's not just instructional. You, I mean, Sunday after Sunday, the stories that Pastor Laura tells, you're like, I get that. I understand that in a way that I didn't if you just outlined it, you know, like diagramming a sentence or something. It works better to experience it. So we do community in song. We do it with a lilt. We do it with a rhyme and a cadence to it that makes sense to it, has a flavor to it. We're engaging all the senses, I guess. So here's point four. So he ends it up by saying, and in your word and your deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. Your word and your deed. Now we're going to jump over. We talked about John for a while. Now let's jump over to, to James. James had this little uh, epistle he wrote or this little letter he wrote. And, and uh, he said in there, he said, faith without works is dead. You remember that? That's been oft quoted. Faith without works is dead. And a lot of us has interpreted that as if you want to have faith, you need to work it out. You need to work hard to get your faith. That's, that's getting the cart before the horse. That's getting it backwards. The truth of the matter is that works can never create faith. Works will never create a better relationship. And that's what faith is, by the way. Faith is not the memorization of ideas. Faith is a relationship, a lively, vibrant relationship with God. That's what faith is. So you can't work yourself to that. But your relationship with God, your faith, will produce works. You see? It's, it's not one way, it's the other so this relationship I have with God begins to affect every little part of my existence, the way I talk, the way I act, everything I do, it affects it. And here's the deal. When I catch myself being selfish or arrogant or deceitful or manipulative or codependent or whatever, you know, I find myself gaslighting somebody, whatever it is, when I catch myself doing that, it's not so much that I feel shamed over it. It's that it just doesn't fit anymore. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't, this is not comfortable. Try doing a day's work. This is, this is a very male image, I'm sorry. It can fit anybody, but it's very male. I'm a guy. You probably didn't notice, but anyway. Um, try taking a pair of really nice fitting leather gloves and you're, you're about to go out and do it, you're going to mow the lawn, okay? And so you take the left glove and you force it on your right hand. And you can do that. It will fit it with a lot of effort. Put it on and then put the right glove on the left hand and go out and mow the lawn. You can do it. 
you're going to hate every minute of it. It's not going to feel right. It's just so unnatural and so unfitting. And that's what it's like when you, if you get all the first part of this passage right, when you catch yourself being, doing dark things, doing deceitful things, doing, you know, selfish things, it's like, there's something that's not right here. You, it's like you catch yourself and you realize it's not, oh, I'm a terrible, bad person. It's like, this doesn't fit. And so you can, you can forgive yourself. You can bear with yourself and you can back out of it and say, okay, let's take, another, let's take these gloves off and put them on the correct hand. And now let's go move along. Let's, let's do this. And the thing is, is that he says all of this is in the name of Jesus. So when we live life in the name of Jesus, in other words, his stamp is on it. If you check the collar, his name's on a little tag back there, you know. Um, when you live life in Jesus' name, it just naturally turns out to be thoughtful, generous, kind, listening, all this stuff. And when it's not, it's the, that tag starts to chase you. It's like, ah. This, no, this is not right. This doesn't fit. And, and, and in the first service, I apologize for this. I don't want to end in a negative point, but I just we have to bring this out. So if we, can, if we look in the mirror and catch ourselves doing that, or if we see other people doing that, I think we need to understand what that is. When somebody hates, when somebody is, is prejudiced, when somebody is deceitful, when somebody is manipulative, and they try to take on the stamp of God told me to do this, or I'm doing this in Jesus' name, you know. Jesus told me to do this. That is using God's name in vain. We like to say, no, when they say GD or something else, that's, that's what it means to use God's name in vain. No, to, to act in a way other than how Paul is describing and try to put G, get Jesus' stamp of approval on that, that is profanity. That is using God's name in vain at the heart of the definition. I think we need to know that, and I, I think I need to know that for my own heart, and I think I need to know that for the people I relate to, who, I mean, in, in, I guess they're doing the best they know how, but they're doing a lot of things in Jesus' name that I think, you can't put his stamp approval on that. He, he doesn't sponsor that kind of attitude, that kind of speech, that kind of, he, he doesn't sponsor that. I don't know where to go with that. You have to be so careful how you talk about that. But anyway... Let's get back on a little pot more positive before we close. Pastor Lars is going to come and lead in communion in just a minute. But let's, okay, so days of old, back in, in my olden legalistic holiness church days, when I read this passage by Paul or I preached on it, a good metaphor would be, thank you, Paul, for giving me two or three great big rocks that I'm going to put on my wagon and go back home. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know, this week, I know what i got to work on. Uh, thank you. As if I didn't have enough to work on. Thank you for this ex these extra rocks. Now I look at this passage and the way that it's come alive to me this week, I look at this passage as being God-initiated out of a heart of love, and all he's saying is, I'm inviting you into this. I'm inviting you to live into this invitation. It's the most organic, and that is who is what you were created for. It's what I had in mind back in Eden when I created humanity. This is what you were created for. Simply live into it. There's no shame involved. There's no fear involved. 
There's no anxiety. There's no try harder involved. Just simply let it happen and live into this. There's no rocks on my wagon. There's no wagon. I just live freely. This is the invitation, not a command, an invitation to live into this. I like that. And let me say, and I'm not saying this arrogantly, I'm just saying factually, I've lived in both worlds. I've lived in the heavy wagon full of rocks world, and I've lived in this world. Let me tell you, this world's a lot better. It's a lot better. Free, generous, just everything about it. A lot better. Try it. If you haven't, try it.